Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 13th of February, 2024 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Hellos and highs go out to our fellow Hong Kongers, both here and around the world. We hear you, Hong Kong, and we are listening. We're very happy to be part of the Hong Kong International Literary Festival for the eighth year in a row. This showcase of local and international talent is one of our favorite times of the year. So many author talks and book readings and workshops and so much more. For details, go to festival.org.hk and support literature and learning. And support Hong Kong Stories, because we'll be there performing our live show at the Fringe Club on the 9th of March. We have stories to delight you on the theme of belonging. Ticketing links are also available on hongkongstories.com. And speaking of belonging, we have our student story slam competition on the same day. You can come and hear secondary school students in Hong Kong tell stories that they wrote themselves on the theme of belonging. Also on the 9th of March. Ticketing links on the website hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now for a story from our June 2023 live show, which had the theme Asking for a Friend. Here is, well, me. That's always awkward. In the late 90s, I moved to a small town of only 9 million people in Sichuan province in China called Chengdu. And immediately after getting there, I ended up through a series of misadventures, um, maybe miscalculations, getting a job as a high school teacher of English. And the way that I got this job was to go to the school And then the school teachers all took me out for lunch. And during lunch, they fed me a lot of baijiao. And then uh, I knew I had the job when they brought me back into the classroom and left me there at the front to teach 80 students (laughs) with no lesson plan, no clue, nothing. It was one of the most terrifying things that I've ever done in my entire life and I went home that evening and cried myself to sleep but I had another problem you see I was flat broke and so I needed this job and so the next morning as I was brushing my teeth I looked myself in the mirror and I said Rachel you don't have a lot of choices you've got to do this So I thought, okay, I put on my big girl pants and I take the bus one hour into school. And I arrive at school and my first real day looks like this. They bring me into the staff room early in the morning and the staff room is quite a large room, but it looks really small because it's absolutely filled with desks. And each of these desks is piled high like some picture out of Dr. Seuss of papers and marking and books and scattered pencils and all the detritus of a professional teacher's life. And then back in the farthest, farthest corner, there's a desk with nothing on it except a thin layer of sawdust. That's my desk. That's my first professional teacher's desk. I am going to be a teacher and I'm going to do this right. 
but I don't have anything to put on the desk, really, except what I've got in my backpack. So I take out my book that I was reading on the bus and my Walkman, because it was the 90s, and I put everything in the drawers of the desk. And the desk drawers have these beautiful little brass locks on them, and there's a little brass key ring with brass keys on it, and I lock each of my possessions in a different drawer of the desk to make it look more full, and I take out a pad and a paper, and I try and think up what a lesson plan might look like for my class, which starts in about 40 minutes. And I sit there, and I kind of panic for a bit, and then I go to my class, and uh, everything goes horribly, as you'd expect. I have 80 students in a room that's the size of a normal classroom anywhere else, and they're all crammed in cheek to jowl. In order to get out, they have to crawl over top of each other's desks. And I've got this little plinth here that I keep falling off of. And I even have to buy my own chalk because they don't provide this for me. So I am exhausted. I go through the day and I'm just terrified every moment. There's a, in every classroom that I walk into, there's a student right in the front row with a giant Chinese-English dictionary who is my light and my savior. And I muddle through. I get through it to the end of the day, and I am so, I'm wrung out like a dish rag. And I take everything that I'd put in my desk, and I put it back in my bag, and I go and I catch the bus, this strange mini bus back to the city where I was living. And I arrive back, and I have to explain that I'm living outside of the foreigner area. As foreigners at this time in China are required to be registered in about seven different police bureaus, and we're only allowed to live in certain areas so the police can keep an eye on us because we're foreign. And, uh, but I'm living outside of the foreigner area because it's the late 90s, and we're getting a little wild here. Um, and I'm living outside in this compound. So it's this walled compound with all these flats, and then there's a gate. And the gate has a gatekeeper who lives kind of in a compound next to the gate. And the gatekeeper was quite a nice lady. If I come in past 11 o'clock at night, uh, you have to knock up the gatekeeper and wake them up, and then you have to pay them some bribe money to let you in. Um, but she was really, really kind, and she had the only telephone in the compound. So I go in, and I say hi to the gatekeeper lady. She's really lovely. And then I walk across the compound, and I go up the five flights to my flat, and I look in my backpack, and my keys are not there. I check in every corner and crevice of the backpack, and they are not there. And then I kind of, back in my sort of, like the reptilian brain that you have in the back of your brain, I can remember the sound of a set of keys sliding to the back of the drawer when I opened it to get everything out when I was ready to go home. And I think, the school is locked, it's an hour's bus ride away. I, they, my keys are not available. They're not accessible. I'm not getting them back. But I've got a problem because I'm a foreigner in China and I can't rent a hotel room because I need my papers, which are inside my flat. And I don't have a lot of money, so I can't bribe people. So I'm standing there, my heart's down in my toes, and I'm thinking what to do. But then I think, no, 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 no. Eh, people in China are just like everybody else. People must forget their keys all the time. So friendly gatekeeper lady. I go down 
And I knock on her door and I say, uh, through a series of mimes and kind of drawings of pictures of keys with big X's through and looking a bit confused, I get her to understand that I don't have any keys and I need to get in my flat. And uh, she goes, oh, okay. She, she doesn't speak any English and I really don't speak much more than two or three words of Mandarin, mostly about food. But she's wonderful. And she picks up the phone and she starts right away talking and she's talking and talking, and I'm thinking, okay, remember, when you're listening to somebody in a language that you don't understand, it often sounds like they're really angry. And so I'm trying to calm myself down, and she slams the phone down. Okay. She picks it up again, and she has another conversation, very fast, very loud. She slams it down again. She does this two more times, until finally she puts the phone gently back in the cradle and goes, okay which is her only English words. And uh, we sit down and we play a game of Chinese checkers together and about 40 minutes later, this van pulls up. And out of the van is, comes a very thin, very young man, maybe late teens, he's got a mustache, sort of. And he's wearing khaki green uniform. He's got green trousers and a green shirt and green plimsoll kind of like ill-fitting shoes. And I'm, okay, I'm funny locksmith. Um, and then out of the passenger side, there's another guy, just exactly the same, who gets out. And then the sliding door for the van opens, and out comes eight more young men, all dressed exactly the same. It turns out that my lovely gatekeeper friend had called the auxiliary police. She had called some locksmiths, but decided that they were far too expensive. And so the auxiliary police it was. So by this time, by the time all the young men came out of the car, it was incredible that they all got in there. Now they all came out of the car, and the gatekeeper and me, and the, the, the compound is starting to fill up because there's nothing that people in mainland China like more than impromptu theater. Who doesn't, right? And The Foreigner is a big, big source of entertainment. Let's face it. I'm, you know, it's, it's the way it goes. People weren't mean or malicious, but they were always curious. And so I've got this posse of potential police standing around me, the gatekeeper, myself, and everybody in the compound, I think, out there watching me. And, and they're having an argument or conversation. I'm not sure which one it is. And suddenly, one of the men breaks off and goes into the entryway to my building. And uh, he comes out a couple of minutes later through my neighbor on the first floor's window. And he reaches over and kind of does this little, like, hop onto the drain pipe, which is not very sturdy or robust. And he gets onto the drain pipe, which, by the way, underneath the drain pipe are all these, like, giant sharpened spears of metal, you know, anti-burglar things. And he starts to climb up the drain pipe, and everybody is standing around watching Everybody is standing around talking. I can hear the la why ah, all the time. And I am standing there thinking, here I am trying to be a professional teacher. And I got so excited about having a desk that now a young man is risking life and limb and could die a horrible death for my mistakes. It was a very sobering thought. Anyways, he did make it up. He made it up to the fifth floor flat. He opened up my, my uh, kitchen window, and he climbed inside. And a couple of minutes later, my flat was liberated, and it was mine again. Exactly.
And so I said thank you to the auxiliary police, all of them, and to the gatekeeper and to my neighbors. And finally, everybody just kind of trailed off and dispersed. And I was back where I had started from. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>